You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Picture, if you will, a young Rod Serling circa 1959, two months before his new show, The Twilight Zone, was about to air. Several episodes were already filmed ready to make television history, one of which was an episode that was going to become one of the most celebrated pieces of television he would ever make. That episode was Walking Distance. But about this time, a CBS executive came to Serling with an idea that he thought would be perfect for the Twilight Zone. Serling agreed that the story presented to him would be a good fit, but it was a story whose themes were just a little too similar to Walking Distance. So maybe this just wasn't the time to meet this other character in his incredible world. When I was a kid, I always had a cap pistol. Listen, Leonard, do you remember Ken Maynard in the movies? All the other kids on the block were Tom Mix, except me. I was Ken Maynard. Me and my horse, Tarzan. Uh, we used to gallop out of the theater and shoot up the whole neighborhood. It's hard to imagine what the Twilight Zone might have in store for this sweet man. A man who not only remembers the excitement of childhood things, but revels in them. And don't we all wish we could carry that with us? So how could this be a bad thing? Well, let's find out when we visit the incredible world of Horace Ford. Mr. Horace Ford, who has a preoccupation with another time, a time of childhood, a time of growing up, a time of street games, stickball, and hide-and-go-seek. He has a reluctance to check out a mirror and see the nature of his image, proof positive that the time he dwells in has already passed him by. But in a moment or two, he'll discover that mechanical toys and memories and daydreaming and wishful thinking and all manner of odd and special events can lead one into a special province, uncharted and unmapped, a country of both shadow and substance known as the Twilight Zone. First broadcast on April 18th, 1963, written by Reginald Rose and directed by Abner Biberman. Our director tonight is Abner Biberman, and it wasn't too long ago that we met him when he directed his first Twilight Zone episode, The Dummy, and I think that was an episode where he brought some real directorial flourishes and interesting visuals to that show, and he was able to use that dummy prop to great effect. So I won't go into his bio too much because I'm sure we spoke about it back then, but he was both an actor and director, and I think from looking down his credits, it's perhaps directing where he made his biggest mark. He directed two more Twilight Zones after this one, so he helmed four in total, 
And I personally feel he's got quite an interesting roster of Twilight Zone episodes, starting with The Dummy, then The Incredible World of Horace Ford, then Number 12 Looks Just Like You, and then finally I Am The Night, Colour Me Black. But the big question is, could he bring any of that flair that we saw in The Dummy to Horace Ford? Well, let's find out. And tonight's writer of the Twilight Zone is also an interesting one. He's a gentleman by the name of Reginald Rose, who was born four years before Rod Serling, and their careers follow quite a similar path. However, Rose seemed to skew away from science fiction and fantasy for the most part. Both paid the bills by writing episodes of the anthology shows of the day, like Playhouse 90 and Theatre One, but this stretch of their career was punctuated by the occasional success that raised their profile and raised the bar for writing in general. For Rod Sailing, it was the likes of Patterns or Requiem for a Heavyweight. For Reginald Rose, it was 12 Angry Men. And then they both created successful socially conscious television shows. For Rod Sailing, of course, it was The Twilight Zone and for Reginald Rose, it was his 1961 show, The Defenders, a show about a father and son duo of lawyers who often took on cases to do with topics that were quite controversial for the time, things like euthanasia, un-American activities, and even abortion, were all topics that The Defenders examined. And while The Defenders only got four series compared to the Twilight Zone's five, it did have two revival television movies in the 90s. And both of these writers also had several versions of the same story made too. For Rod Serling it was again Requiem for a Heavyweight and Patterns. For Reginald Rose it was Twelve Angry Men and The Incredible World of Horace Ford because the Twilight Zone version of this story is not the only version of this story. It's not even the first version of this story. In 1955, Reginald Rose wrote an episode of Theatre One in Hollywood called The Incredible World of Horace Ford, and rather enticingly, the title character was played by that Twilight Zone favourite, Art Carney and it was directed by Planet of the Apes director, Franklin J. Schaffner. And I believe that this was the episode that I talked about early on, the version that was first shown to Rod Serling for consideration of being remade to include in The Twilight Zone. But when The Twilight Zone was actually already in production, there was another version of The Incredible World of Horace Ford made again, and this one too was written by Reginald Rose, and this time it was released in 1960, and it was for another anthology show called Encounter. Now this was a Canadian show that was a series of hour-long episodes, and it too boasted some great names in its cast, including Twilight Zone alumni like William Shatner and Barry Morse. Now the Encounter version of Horace Ford was again written by Reginald Rose, all three versions have been, and the title character was played by a British actor called Alan Young, 
who had quite the career himself, but one of his most recognisable roles was as a voice actor, because he gave that distinctive Scottish brogue to the character of Scrooge McDuck in DuckTales and numerous other appearances. And I would dearly have loved to do a deep dive on all three versions of this story so we could compare and contrast them because although they were all written by Reginald Rose, there are some differences with the Twilight Zone version, but I would have especially loved to watch the Arcani version, but unfortunately I just couldn't find them to see them, and if they don't exist anymore, I think that's a real shame. So Reginald Rose and Rod Serling were on similar paths, paths that didn't tend to really cross over that much, but Martin Grams Jr. writes in Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic about an editorial written by a writer called Edith Efron, and the editorial was called Can a TV Writer Keep His Integrity? And apparently this was, as Martin Grams Jr. says, a backhand slap at Rod Serling who had made numerous comments in the public eye about quality television. Now I can't find that original article to quote to you, but Martin Grams Jr. quotes Serling's response to it. And he wrote to TV Guide and he said, Should TV Guide have any further interest in me, I would count it as a personal favour if they'd refrain from sending Miss Edith Efron with her lace-handled hatchet to do the job. Reginald Rose, on the other hand, praised Efron, and he said, I've seen the TV Guide piece, and I'm writing to thank you for all the effort you put into making it an interesting and excellent article. I only wish it could have been longer. So would this stir any animosity towards the two writers? Well, Rose ended up on the Twilight Zone, so it can't have been that bad, because in the same month, Rose wrote to Serling, saying that the only reason for the letter to TV Guide was to encourage Rod Serling to venture away from science fiction and return to his dramatic roots from the likes of Playhouse 90 and Studio One. So it's interesting that still science fiction was seen as the lesser of the mediums, you know, drama was king and science fiction was really in the basement. But Reginald Rose ended his letter to Rod Serling on quite a light note. If you promise not to be sore about the TV Guide article, I'll tell you a funny story. My rotten kid aged 10 had a birthday party last week, and what do you think my rotten kid demanded as entertainment? Dear old dad, said he, I want you to show my chums and me three twilight zones. So I did, the dirty rotten kid. And Sailing 2 had a deep respect for Reginald Rose, which which culminated in Horace Ford ending up on the Twilight Zone. Hey, Mom, you remember Mr. Corey? Uh, Mr. Corey, Mom, I had him in 5B. Hey, hey, Laura. Listen, did I ever tell you what we used to call him? Hey, guest. Come on, let's get uh, ready for dinner. I'm not even going to tell you. I'll never forget the time. He caught me with a candy ball in my mouth. See, the kind that, that change colors while you suck on it. Horace. Well, he made me stand up, and every minute he'd point that pointer at me, and he said, Mr. Ford? What color is it? What color is it, Mr. Ford? I gotta take it out of my mouth and tell him. Oh, I thought Hermie Brand had bust trying not to laugh. Horace. Hermie Brand. Boy, the greatest stickball player in the whole world. 
I'll never forget this time. Horace. It's fire drill, see? One time, you know what he used to do in fire drill? Let's he have think, dinner. No. Gee, what great times. I was 10. Boy, what great, great times. Horace, why don't you stop? Nobody cares about when you were 10 anymore. I care. You're almost 38. So what? You don't act 38 sometimes. So what? That's what I mean. So what? What kind of an answer is so what? I'm telling you, it's dry. You keep no talking about when you, you were a kid. I mean, all the time. You that pretty. Why don't you just be quiet for once, will you? Horace! So the walking distance comparisons aren't helped by the fact that the episode is using the same music as walking distance. Which is fine, you know, episodes did use the same music sometimes. But I think because Walking Distance has taken on such a huge life beyond the show in the subsequent years, you know, it's really identifiable as the Walking Distance music. So to hear it here is a little jarring, I think. But this scene introduces us to this dynamic that Horace Ford has in his home life. The two women who share his living space, his mother Mrs Ford, played by Ruth White, and his wife Laura Ford, played by Nan Martin. And I think Laura Ford's reaction to Horace in that scene kind of mirrors my own experience watching Horace. You know he's a good guy, you want to give him the space to be who he is and talk about these things, but then you gradually start to lose patience with him. And the long-suffering Laura is played by Nan Martin and she was born in 1927 in Illinois and she was a hard-working actress of the day and many days to come with a career that spanned five decades and a very respectable 138 credits. And she pretty much made her career as a guest performer with some recurring roles here and there like on the Drew Carey show but for me, I'll always remember her as Freddy Krueger's mother in A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And while this was her only original series Twilight Zone, she was in two stories in the 80s Twilight Zone, If She Dies and A Saucer Full of Loneliness, which is one of the better 80s Twilight Zones and a very special story indeed. But how is she in this? Well, I think she does admirably with quite a difficult role here. Because it might just be me, but I find Horace Ford to be quite an annoying character. And while we can't judge who someone will or won't fall in love with, I think the problem I have here is that I can never really understand why this woman is with Horace Ford and why she puts up with how he behaves. They don't seem to be compatible or kindred spirits in any way. I guess maybe opposites do attract. And in unlocking the door to a television classic, she says of her co-star, Pat and I have been great friends. We did stage work together. They flew me from New York to do Horace Ford. I was flown in for a lot of television. We were known as the Jeanette MacDonald and Nelson Eddy of the stage and screen because we worked together so often. I met Rod when he came on the set he was a very nice man, kind of shy, but here I am, an actress, and I was in awe for Rod Serling. We were doing the street scene where Pat relives his childhood with the street kids. I was off camera with everyone else and he played the part so well, 
that I had chills on my back. I told someone next to me how I felt, and they agreed with me. So a lot of this episode is taken up with Horace's home life, and we see that he lives with his mother and his wife. So if we consider our question about season four episodes, you know, are they too long and so on, if this one was to be in a shorter format, I would imagine they probably would have jettisoned one or the other of these characters. But I guess in this long form version, you would think that maybe one of the reasons why his mother was here is to kind of show why he is such a man child, you know, does she still mother him too much? Is that what this is all about? But the thing is, she doesn't seem to be doing that much. His friend Leonard and his wife Laura seem to do that more than his own mother. Mrs. Ford actually calls him out on his childish ways. She says to him, Why are you always talking about Randolph Street, the street where he grew up? It was a terrible street, and I just want to forget it. She also asks him why he's always talking about when he was a child. So it's not really her presence that is making him so immature. But she does give us some clues that Horace's childhood wasn't as rosy as he's making out. So while it seems as though her presence here isn't really that necessary, I suppose she's just part of the window dressing of Horace Ford just being a big kid. <laughs> Why do you always have to talk about when you were a kid? Randolph Street. You know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going back there right now. Horace? Why shouldn't I? Horace, it's just a dirty old street. What are you going to say? Stay home. Where are you going? Come on. Horace. Horace, listen. So when we get to Randolph Street with Horace, we are greeted by one of those beautiful city street backlot sets that we've become so accustomed to here in the Twilight Zone. And I'm sure we've probably seen this very same one dressed up in different episodes because it certainly looks familiar. But this time... I think I enjoy it all the more because it's just bustling with life and detail. It's night time, and these streets always look so good at night. The floor is wet from a department of sanitation truck going by, which adds this sheen to it so the lights are reflected back up, like a stream of light running through the middle of the shot. And to the sides, the street is bordered by awnings on the stores and market traders on the pavements and a hot dog seller wheels his car towards us, and it's a snapshot of an America that I love, that built-up city environment which can be so cold and impersonal, turned into a community, a hive of activity, and I think it's beautiful. And it's here that Horace begins experiencing a sequence of events that we will become quite familiar with. The vendor tries to sell him a hot dog, he walks between a couple holding hands who then say bread and butter to each other, a woman shouts to her child out of a window, and Horace walks through the street as if in a daze. And as a group of kids run by, Horace drops his watch, and one of the children is his childhood friend, Hermie Brandt, 
a young man with one of his front teeth colored in black in a time that could not have predicted high-definition TV spoiling the illusion. I saw some kids on the block. Little kids, maybe, maybe 10, 11 years old. Laura, they were the kids I played with when I was 10. Same kids. You're perspiring. I'm, I'm not. You're not listening to me. I heard you. I think you're catching cold or something. Wipe off your face. Wipe off your face. They couldn't have been the same kids, dear. That's nonsense. Well, they were. I saw them. Now, a moment later, Hermy Brandt turns up at Horace's apartment and returns Horace's watch to Laura. And we'll speak a bit more about this in a moment. So what is going on here? Is it a man entering the twilight zone? Or is it a man simply having a breakdown? After reading Reginald Rowe's script for the first time, the producer Herbert Hirschman had this to say to Rod Serling. It's a strange play. On one level, it is a classic description of schizophrenia, but this is disturbed by the concrete evidence of fantasy when the little boy brings back the Mickey Mouse watch. Unquestionably, this brief element of fantasy into what is otherwise an absorbing psychological study is what disturbed many of the viewers seven years ago, and frankly, it disturbs me to some small degree. Also, I have a feeling that the script, aside from this strange element, is a little thin and incomplete, in that it is a straight line of a man's retreating into a dream world. The other problem present is that it's about a quarter of the way through the play before we enter any area that could be considered Twilight Zone. So the character of Horace Ford is of course played by the great Pat Hingle, and to my generation he will probably always be remembered as the underutilized Commissioner Gordon in the Batman movies that began in 1989, but his career was much, much more than that. Born in Miami, Florida in 1924, he was supported by his mother after she and his father divorced, and they traveled the USA depending on where his mother could get work. So like many of our Twilight Zone leads, he served his country in World War II in the Navy, and when he came back to the US and continued his studies at university, he got involved in the drama department, apparently as a way to meet girls, and I guess it must have worked, because that's where he met his first wife, who he was with for 30 years before they divorced. But early in their relationship, they moved to New York, where Pat began getting work on the stage and in television. And what a decade-spanning career he had. He paid his dues with small parts on TV, like in four episodes of the television version of Suspense in the early 50s. And from the moment he hit the screen, no job was too big or too small for Pat Hingle. He was genuinely one of our hard-working actors of the day, with 200 credits to his name, 
and by the time we meet him here in the Twilight Zone, he's been on screen for about 9 years so he's no novice at this point. He wasn't one for doing long term television series but just guest spots, and he was in several of the popular shows of the time, like The Fugitive or The Andy Griffith Show. And he also has some good Rod Sailing connections. Apart from this episode of The Twilight Zone, he also appeared in an episode of Rod Sailing's next television project, The Loner, in an episode called The Mourners for Johnny Sharp. But the highlight for me would be his performance when Rod Serling decided to visit Dickens' world when he adapted Charles Dickens' play A Christmas Carol into A Carol for Another Christmas and Pat Hingle gives a great performance as the ghost of Christmas Present. So how is he in this? Well, I like Pat Hingle. I think he's not only a good actor but he's a very dependable one too. Whatever you're watching him in, he will generally be good value. But in this, I see what he was going for, and whether it's him or what he was asked to do, I don't know, but I don't personally feel like having a fondness for your childhood or holding on to the things you enjoyed in childhood into adulthood would necessitate that you act like a child. This is not a person who retained their childlike wonder, this is someone who is just acting childish. And unfortunately, I just kind of find it annoying. Now I know that that's probably part of the point because everyone gets frustrated with Horace. His little asides into like, did you ever have a Mickey Mouse watch and things like that are annoying. And I get that that's the point but sometimes it just doesn't make for a good watching experience. So is his childishness part of the breakdown that he's going through? Is it causing him to regress in his behaviour? If that's the explanation then that's fine but I don't think it is. But I do get the impression that people around him generally accept that this is just how he actually is. And while I don't find it painful to watch, it's not a performance that I really enjoy either. And it's a shame that I couldn't see the other two versions because it would have been really interesting to see how these other actors approach the part of Horace Ford. Now Herbert Hirschman seemed to think that the balance between the real world, the suffering of this man who is obviously having some kind of mental breakdown and the fantastical elements of the Twilight Zone were a bit off and I don't necessarily agree with that the balancing of the elements and the use of fantasy intertwined with his breakdown as a way of illustrating that to us is just fine by me but I do think one of the main issues that I have about the episode itself begin to creep in about this point about a third of the way in Horace goes to Randolph Street and he encounters the hot dog seller he encounters the young couple he encounters his childhood friends, he drops his watch, he goes home, his wife gets worried and frustrated with him, and he gets annoyed at work. What's the matter? Just stop it. He was one of the kids last night. Who was one of the kids? Harvey Bender. What are you talking about? I saw him last night. Don't you know that's impossible? I know what I see. He was 10 years old when you were 10 years old. He's as old as you are. I tell you, I saw him. He's a grown-up man. 
Oh, you think so? You think so, don't you? Let me tell you, I saw him last night on Randolph Street, and I saw George Langbert, and I saw Cy Wright, and they are still kids. Horace, what are you saying? So then Horace goes to Randolph Street again, he encounters the hot dog seller, the young couple, his childhood friends, he drops his watch, then he goes home. Same thing happened all over again. It certainly did. And then the young Hermie brings Horace Watch back home again. His wife gets worried and frustrated with him, and he gets annoyed at work. Then he goes back to Randolph Street. He encounters the hot dog seller, the young couple, his childhood friends, and he drops his watch. I am of course missing out some details here, but I think my overall sentiment remains the same, that this episode just feels too long. And the irony is that from what I understand, the previous two versions of Horace Ford were this long as well, so this is not a case of a story being stretched too far to fit an hour-long Twilight Zone. It's more the case of a story just not engaging me. And I usually like studies like this, the studies of a person breaking down or going insane, because those stories are usually very performance-driven, and if you are fascinated by the central performance, then you appreciate every small moment, no matter how insignificant it might seem, because you're so focused on what the actor is doing. Season 4's miniature is a good example of this for me. Now I realise it's not for everyone, but I probably gave the episode a bit of slack because I liked what Robert Duvall was doing with it, but I just don't enjoy watching Pat Hingle here. I just find him annoying. So on this last occasion, when Horace follows his old friends into the alleyway at Randolph Street, he hears that they're talking about a birthday party that they weren't invited to, his birthday party, and he tries to plead with them to accept an apology, and as he does, he turns back into the young Horace Ford, who was their age. Can you imagine not being invited to that birthday party? Can you imagine? Yeah, and I'm supposed to be his best friend. He stinks! You gotta mobilize him, right, Hermie? Well, and how? Why don't we bust in on the party? Fellers. Oh, what for? Listen, fellers, there's something I gotta tell you. Now, he'd probably ball or something. Hey, you gotta listen to me. I have to tell you this. Definitely I wanna tell you. Your father's fine. You cut it out. Hey, hey, fellas, look at me. I'm, I'm standing right here. Hermie, Hermie, are you my buddy? Why don't you listen to me? Oh, you, you guys, you think I don't know it? I owe you guys some apologies? Georgie? Hey, Cy? Oh, come on, what are you giving me the treatment for? Will you listen? Will you please listen to me? I couldn't help it. I'm telling you, fellas, you gotta give me a chance. Hermie, I'm your best friend. Will you listen to me just for a minute? Well, if it ain't Horace Maxwell Ford. Horace Maxwell Ford. His supposed friends set about giving young Horace a beating, which then culminates in maybe the highlight of the episode. Quite a chilling moment when Hermie Brandt takes Horace Watch back to Laura and we see that it's actually his childhood Mickey Mouse watch now. And the ending of this 
was a great point of discussion when this story came to the Twilight Zone. Now it's my understanding that the original versions of Horace Ford finished here. Hermie Brandt took the watch back to Laura, which suggested that Horace Ford went back in time to his childhood for good. But CBS just didn't like this ending and one of the executives wrote to Herbert Hirschman and said the meaning of the play is not clear. So Martin Grahams Jr. documents in Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic that Herbert Hirschman wrote a reply suggesting an alternative ending and it said, start with the 1934 street with the people in wardrobe of the period, old cars etc. Shooting down on the street sign, we see Hermie running through the crowd. A few beats behind him comes Laura, Horace's wife. She has obviously lost sight of Hermie. As she makes her way down the busy street, she comes to the alley, looks in and sees Horace the boy lying on the ground. She goes over to him, recognises him as her husband, is horrified and is frantically tugging and yanking at him and perhaps in dialogue, also trying to call him back. She shakes him vigorously and the boy transforms into Horace Ford, the man. A scene is then played in the alley which could contain all the thoughts and dialogue which are present in the version already shot. At the end of the scene, Horace and Laura walk out into the street on their way home. Only now the street is 1963. The people in present day clothes set dressing and cars accordingly up to the moment. As they walk down the street and past the sign, we could still bring in Hermie Brandt looking after them. Very close to the same effect could be obtained somewhat more simply by using what has already been shot up to the time that Laura finds Horace the boy in the alley and reshooting from there to the end. So this was more or less what ended up on screen apart from a few details and it seems that when the Studio One version was broadcast originally, in the days that followed they received over a thousand letters asking for clarification on the ending as well. And Martin Grahams Jr. writes that Reginald Rose himself was forced to defend his play, reasoning that the viewers probably did not understand that the story dealt in fantasy and perhaps were unable to distinguish whose fantasy it was. So as filmed, Laura goes to find the poor young beaten up Horace, who thankfully transforms back into a fully grown man and has the realisation that his childhood might not have been as wonderful as he's been making out. I don't know what happened to me, Laura. I have no idea. But... For one minute... For one second, um, maybe one hour, I don't know. I saw something that made every memory I ever had a lie. Because when I was a kid, it was an ugly, sad, unbearable nightmare. And I saw it. I know what it was. I remember it now. I don't know what happened to you either, Horace, but 
I think we're all like that. We remember what was good and we black out what was bad. Maybe because we couldn't live if we didn't. I can see why Rod Serling would be reluctant to use the incredible world of Horace Ford so close to walking distance, because they do have their similarities. But I also think that given the space of a few years, there was enough distance to tell this story now. Walking Distance was about a burnt out man who did have a good childhood and wanted to revisit it because it was everything a childhood should be. Horace Ford was a man having a breakdown and there are certain clues as to why that might be in the episode. It might be the pressure of supporting his wife and mother in their household, the pressure of being an adult. So he retreats into the things that should have been from a simpler time. But what happens when that simpler time wasn't as wonderful as Martin Sloan's was in walking distance, then I guess you need to make it up. So both walking distance and Horace Ford are both very valid depending on your own life experience. But in terms of quality, I just don't think the incredible world of Horace Ford really holds a candle to walking distance. I truly wish I could find the episodes of Studio One and Encounter to be able to compare and contrast whether those versions were any better than this one. From what I can tell, as I said earlier, the broadcast length was the same, so this isn't a case of padding a story out for the Twilight Zone, but it does feel overlong, and I'm afraid, to these eyes at least, a bit boring. So I really would have liked to see those episodes because I wanted to know whether a different portrayal of the main character could make me connect with him more, because unfortunately I just don't connect with this performance at all. I think the premise has real promise because like I said, it has that different perspective on childhood. Walking Distance is about a man trying to escape his current day trauma whereas Horace Ford is about a man who has buried his childhood trauma. He tried to fool himself that everything was great in his childhood by romanticizing it to the point of forgetting the real truth of it. He was bullied and beaten. He didn't have a happy childhood, but instead of facing that, he buries it. So it comes bubbling to the surface again. So I admire it for being ahead of its time in a way and speaking about the long-term effects of trauma when it remains untreated, but unfortunately admiring the things that it tackled just isn't quite enough for me in this case. So to be honest I just think it's a bit of everything that doesn't work for me, a lead performance that I can't connect with, which in turn leads me to not really believing the relationship between Horace and his wife. I just can't understand why she would be with this man. There are so many things in it that make me not really care about Horace's struggle. I get what it was trying to do, and I can reason out many of these things that I have problems with in the episode, but it still just adds up to an unsatisfying whole for me. But I can see how this really would connect with other people, especially if they actually really enjoy Pat Ingle's performance. So while it doesn't really work for me, I can't damn this episode completely. And I'm glad that Horace was able to discover the root of what was wrong with him to the point that he could make his peace with it and live his life from then on. 
But while I wouldn't describe watching the incredible world of Horace Ford as traumatic, sadly for me, it's an experience that I'll probably try to forget. Exit Mr. and Mrs. Horace Ford, who have lived through a bizarre moment not to be calibrated on normal clocks or watches. Time has passed, to be sure. But it's the special time in the special place known as the Twilight Zone. So that is the incredible world of Horace Ford. Now, you know, sounds like I was a bit down on that episode, and to be honest, it didn't really work for me. But it's one of those ones where, you know, I, I think it probably does work for some people. So I hate to be hard on an episode like that. You know, and I always try and find at least something else to say about it. Because I think, you know, you know there are some episodes that universally everyone will agree are not very good. But I think this is probably not necessarily one of those, but it just didn't work for me. So if it worked for you and you didn't really enjoy the experience of having me not enjoying it, then I'm sorry about that. But, you know, such is life, such is the world we live in, we can't, we can't all agree on everything. But I hope, you know, you at least enjoyed the episode somewhat. So we're at a point where we're almost at the end of season four. Now, originally I'd hoped to get it done in a year and I think at the beginning of last year, I was doing pretty well at that. I was on track for it. I think there was a couple of things that derailed me. First of all, the new Twilight Zone obviously broke my stride a bit because I had to cover that. But then after that, we, we were just such in the midst of, you know, world events and that obviously impacted me as well instead of having more time to do things i had a bit less but i think as well when you have less time to do a season four episode it really kind of impacts on getting that episode done now if you've got like a clear week to work on the episode and you can just hammer away at it and um, then it, it's not too bad it's it's quite easy you can just get it done but if life is generally busy these episodes are really difficult to do i'm finding so you know with a, a season one to three episode or a season five episode coming up because they are pretty short if you're not able to work on it for a few days and you need to get the scent of it back again it's quite easy you can just watch the episode again it only takes you 23 minutes so it's no big deal but with these season fours if you're busy and you're not able to work on it all the time but you need to get the scent of it back again by watching it again then it's a whole hour out of your day that you need to find and it's it's just been quite difficult so while the podcast has generally been a podcast that comes out when it comes out i think i did used to more or less manage two episodes in a month but it's gone to one a month over the past few months and I'm hoping that changes with uh, season five. But in the meantime, we've only got three episodes to go of season four. And in the next episode, I'll be announcing to you how you can take part in that end of season episode, um, which is something I always enjoy getting your voices onto the show and saying what you like and you don't like and really just celebrating the Twilight Zone altogether. So listen out next month and I'll give you some details about how we can do that in the meantime i want to thank itunes reviewers markman 73 thank you for your very kind review 
Bamamas over there in Australia. Thank you very much. I appreciate your review. And then finally, okay, I don't know how to say this or whether it's an abbreviation, but Jalin Banks, Jalin Banks in the US with a very kind review as well. Thank you so much. And they say that they are currently restarting the podcast from the beginning. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I've said this many times on Patreon shows, but it's, um, it's difficult to listen to those early podcasts because you've got to understand the landscape was a lot different then. You know, about 10 years ago, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just kind of making it up as I went along and the show kind of finds its feet over time and finds its format. It's difficult to listen to those original episodes because it was a time when the landscape was people like me who were who were just kind of putting stuff out there. Nowadays, every celebrity and their mother has a podcast, you know? <laughs> you can pretty much name any celebrity and they've, they've got their own podcast. So professionally produced and it's lucky for them because they will... All they need to do is turn up and talk and then someone else will put all the hard work in of editing and, and publishing and so on. Where those of us who are doing it, you know, at my level here, uh, need to do it all by ourselves. But I thank you for your iTunes reviews. It really helps get uh, the word about the show out. And also I want to thank my patrons as well over on Patreon who month after month help keep the lights on here. Um, at the Twilight Zone podcast and it's become very important because to do a, a good quality podcast you need to have decent quality equipment and I've had the same computer here for about probably about eight of those ten years maybe and it's starting to get a bit creaky so all of those Patreon contributions are going to be going towards getting a new computer to try and keep the quality up because there is nothing so heartbreaking as recording a podcast and then finding out it, it's gone for whatever reason because of some computer malfunction. And I think this old thing, I thank it for its service, but unfortunately it's starting to get near to the end of its life. So any Patreon contributions are, are going towards saving up for another computer that is capable of processing audio you know you need to spend that little bit extra to be able to do the kind of things I do on the podcast so I thank my patrons one and all for supporting the show and if you um, if you want to support the show over there then it's patreon.com slash twilight zone podcast and you can join the after hours club where there are episodes about the 80s twilight zone shortly it's going to be the 2000s twilight zone there are also episodes about Rod Sailing's other show, The Loner. There are episodes about Night Gallery. Uh, there's episodes about Vintage Rod Sailing. And there's even episodes about when I left the Twilight Zone podcast way back when. And Luke took over for about eight episodes. I have done my version of those episodes over on Patreon. So you've got episodes like A Passage for Trumpet that Luke did on the main feed but I've done my version over in Patreon, so there's stuff like that there as well. Now we have no listener feedback this episode, but if you want to get your thoughts onto the show, then email a clip of about five minutes or less to tom at the twilightzonepodcast.com and it can be about any of the episodes in season four so far, it can be about just general Twilight Zone talk, 
or it can be about our next episode. Now normally I would hand over to Rod Sailing who would tell us what's coming up next, but this time round there isn't a Rod Sailing introduction to that next episode, so our next one is called On Thursday We'll Leave for Home, so get your thoughts over about that if you want to, and I will speak to you next time. Bye for now.